Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. We're up to book 23 of the Odyssey. Only two books left, including today. And some people aren't even sure that book 24 is original, so we could feasibly be at the end. I mean, we're not. We'll go over book 24 next week because it does tie up some loose ends. But, you know, depending on which scholar you talk to, this could be the end. Um, Anyway, I'm sure you remember what happened in book 22. The suitors are kaput. Does anybody else watch Animaniacs? Um, Does anyone else picture death as depicted in the episode in which Wacko plays checkers with death, you know, and he has the kaput stickers that he... Just me? That was a total tangent. That has nothing to do with the Odyssey. That's just how my brain works. Um, at the end of book 22, Odysseus sends Eurycleia to go fetch Penelope, and that is where book 23 picks up. Eurycleia runs up the stairs, shouting for Penelope to wake up because Odysseus is home, and he's killed all of the suitors. Penelope does wake up, and she tells Eurycleia that she's crazy, and then she grumbles about being woken up from the best sleep she's had in 20 years. I mean, best she's had since since Odysseus left, which might be a sign that maybe he's home, but you know, whatever. Uh, Eurycleia insists, adding that Telemachus has known for days, and at that, Penelope jumps out of bed and hugs Eurycleia before asking a very reasonable question. If no one knew that he was home, how was he able to kill all of the suitors single-handedly? Eurycleia shrugs. She didn't see it. But she's seen the aftermath, and they're not only merely dead, they're really most sincerely dead. Um, But it's safe to go downstairs now. The hall's been cleaned up and cleansed with fire and brimstone. Um, I guess some sage wasn't going to suffice. Penelope stays cautious, though. She tells Eurycleia that it is possible that some god is responsible for all of this, not her mortal husband. It's still possible that Odysseus is long dead. Eurycleia rolls her eyes and tells her about how she saw the scar on his leg the other day. Penelope pats her on the head and says that whatever has happened, they should at least go and see Telemachus. They go downstairs, and Penelope sits down on the other side of the room from Odysseus. They eye each other, but neither says anything. Finally, Telemachus can't take it anymore. He asks Penelope why she hasn't thrown herself into the arms of his father. How can she be so cold? And Penelope responds most calmly. He does look like Odysseus, but she can't be sure. But there are certain signs, certain secrets that they alone share, and that's how she'll know that he's truly her husband. Odysseus smiles. That's his Penelope, all right. He tells Telemachus to let her be. She knows what she's doing. Telemachus grumbles and points out that they do have a little problem. Uh, They're going to be in big trouble once everyone else on Ithaca learns what they've done. I mean, they just killed a hundred or so people. Uh, Odysseus tells Telemachus to arrange it uh, to look like there's a wedding feast going on, and that will at least buy them some time. Um, So they do. Phemius plays some happy songs, the maids sing and dance, and passers-by comment about how the queen must have finally chosen a new husband. 
Odysseus bathes and puts on clean clothes, and of course he gets a little help from Athena. And of course she can't resist making him look younger and stronger, because that's totally what Penelope will be expecting him to look like after 20 years. Um, I'm sorry, can you hear my eyes rolling? Because seriously, I don't know what Athena is, is thinking. She's the goddess of wisdom, and so you'd think she would know that you would expect someone to look, I don't know, 20 years older if they've been gone for 20 years. Anyway, um, Odysseus then loudly asks Eurycleia to make up a bed for him because his wife clearly has a heart of iron. Penelope rises to this challenge. I mean, she keeps her cool. And instead, she responds with her own challenge. She tells Eurycleia, why, of course, how about you make up the marriage bed, but move it out of our bedroom into the hall and he can sleep on it there. Odysseus um, uh, does not keep his cool. When Penelope says this, he explodes with rage at the thought that their marriage bed could be moved. It's impossible. After all, one of the four bedposts is an olive tree. Literally, it's still growing out of the ground. The bed cannot be moved unless something has broken it. Penelope's looking for a sign. How's that for a sign? She smiles. And then she cries. And then she runs across the room and throws her arms around him and covers him in kisses. Of course the bed can't be moved. She knew that. But she needed to make sure that he knew that. No other man has ever seen their bed. So no other man would know that it is immovable. And with that, Odysseus cries too. Then he tells her that there is one more thing that he has to do, and he recounts what Tiresias's ghost had told him to do, the, the whole or winnowing fan thing from back in book 11. Uh, Penelope says that's fine. He's home, and that's all that matters. Eurynome and Eurycleia make up that now famous bed, and Penelope and Odysseus go off to bed in exactly the manner you would expect of a couple who have been separated for 20 years. Odysseus tells her his stories. Well, most of them. He leaves out all of his infidelities. And eventually, they drift off to sleep. In the morning, he tells Penelope to stay safely in her rooms until he returns. He's off to plant his oar. And the book ends as he sets off with Telemachus and Eumaeus to complete the final task on his journey home. I think you can see why some scholars argue that this is where the Odyssey originally ended. Odysseus and Penelope are reunited, and Odysseus is off on his final task. Do we really need to see more? Uh, but of course, we do still have some loose ends, and those will be mostly tied up in Book 24. So you can also see the argument for Book 24 being the original ending. I don't know enough ancient Greek to weigh in, and it's largely due to stylistic reasons that scholars argue that Book 24 was added later, um, but we aren't, we aren't there yet. <laughs> We're not quite to Book 24. We are at Book 23, so let's talk Book 23. Um, here's the thing that I still don't quite get. 
why is Odysseus's scar considered to be such a good identifier? Um, as a human, totally. I mean, you know definitely that it's not some human impersonating Odysseus because, yeah, okay, in that case, Scar's good, pretty good. But if a god were to disguise himself as Odysseus, wouldn't he think to include the Scar in his disguise? Um, and, and for that matter, wouldn't a disguised god know about the bed? Um, I just don't see how. I mean, so Penelope at one point says that she's concerned that Odysseus might actually be a god in disguise. So how can she be certain that it's him based on based on these little tests that that they give each other in in book 23? Um now I do have one thought and maybe it's not his knowledge. It's his reaction. He gets so angry. He is furious about the thought that their bed has been moved or can be moved, that that it has been broken. Um, so maybe maybe it really isn't the knowledge that he possesses, but it's the reaction um, to what she claims that that she's looking for. Um, so about that bed, <laughs> um, it's kind of hard to explain without quoting the entire passage. And um, my translation is not in the public domain, so I cannot read the entire thing to you. Um, it, it's, I'll, I'll see if I can explain it. So there's this olive tree growing in the middle of where Odysseus wants to build his house. Um, and right where he really wants to build the bedroom. And and. Instead of chopping the tree down, he just fashions it into a bedpost and then builds the bed around it and builds, you know, the bedroom around that and the house around that. Um, how this is on an upper story, I, I don't don't think too hard on it, like many things in Greek mythology. We do think too hard. We try to learn from it, but some some images just if you think too hard about it, it it, it will not it will stop making any possible sense. Um, and so here's something you need to understand about olive trees um, and olive wood. It is incredibly strong um, and it's and it's pliable. Um, so if, if you've ever seen an, an olive tree, I mean it looks like it looks like your basic fruit tree, right? but um, but when it's ready to harvest, those those branches, like they are touching the ground under the weight of the olives, um, and and you just like walk along and you bat the olives off and until they fall into some tarps under the trees, and and then once once that weight is released, then the the branches just spring back up like nothing like nothing ever happened, um, and. And I personally have not harvested olives, but when I lived in Rome, there was an olive grove next door. Um, and obviously, of course, it was owned by nuns because Italy. Um, and and I was there for an entire year. So I saw this entire harvest cycle and and saw the trees become just, like I said, just so laden, so heavy that, that the branches touched the ground and watched the nuns you know, harvesting, nuns in full habit, of course, <laughs> harvesting, harvesting the olives. Um, and, and that, I mean, it, it, 
it really is very strong wood. It does not break under this weight. Um, and that is what, that is the sort of tree that is part of the marriage bed of Odysseus and Penelope. Um, so the bed is not only rooted to the bedroom, rooted to the house, it is made out of one of the strongest woods imaginable. Um, and again, of course, as their marriage bed, it represents their marriage. Um, it's not only the sign that will allow them to know each other. It's a symbol of the strength of their relationship. They were separated for 20 years, but the bed and their marriage remains steadfast. So what are your thoughts on Book 23? Um, Penelope, Odysseus, olive harvests. <laughs> Anything else that our reading so far has made you think of? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. Join me on Patreon to get early access and ad-free episodes. You can look me up there as triumvirclio or follow the URL in the show notes. On Friday, we will have an episode on the Homeric Hymn to Earth, Mother of All. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.